Good morning, Living Water. I had several people ask to me why I was wearing a purple shirt because my team got beat by a purple team yesterday. Um, it was totally um, an accident. It just looked cool, and I put it on this morning. Um, I got mad respect for K-State, but I am an OU fan through thick and thin, and uh, I empathize with you uh, Texas fans. And maybe the reason my team lost is because I celebrated so much when Texas lost, <clears throat> but that's beside the point. But it's good to be in God's house, and I was thinking about that, and, and it's crazy how fickle we are as fans. You know, I mean, you get one moment, everybody's screaming at the top of their lungs in the stadium for their team, and when things don't go the way they want them to go, then they immediately just turn and start complaining about coaches and schemes and all that stuff. And I thought, man, how fickle. And, and aren't we kind of the same way sometimes? We have a good day, and we're like, man, God is great, and then something happens bad, and you're like, man, my life stinks. And uh, so that's just a neat reminder for us to just always remember that we have a God who is always with us, who never leaves us, he never forsakes us, and uh, man, there's, there's a lot of encouragement in scriptures to know who we are in Christ, and so that's been the whole theme uh, this year, just looking at Jesus, who he is, what he taught, what he did, and what it means. And my argument there is that the more you know who he is, and the more you know what he did, what it means, the gospel of Jesus Christ means, the more of an impact it has on our life personally. I really believe that, that it means so much more to us the more we learn. And so we've been in a series called Greater Than, and we're looking at the book of Hebrews. And, and my idea in this beginning of this Hebrews series was we're looking at 10 chapters, the first 10 chapters, um, from about a 30,000-foot view. And, and the reason is because if you zoom in and you go like maybe just scripture to scripture, verse to verse, <clears throat> you can kind of get lost in the forest. You've heard the phrase, you can't see the force for the trees. Um, and so I think sometimes you can kind of get stuck in some passages that are difficult, maybe frightening. When you zoom out a little bit and you see the intent of the author, which we don't know who it was, Hebrews, the writer, um, the intent there was just simply this, Jesus is greater. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, know this, Jesus is greater than anyone and anything, exclamation point, the end, Amen. Excuse me, I drank some water while ago and went down the wrong way. And also, I'm on about four and a half hours sleep and four cups of coffee. So I don't know if you're going to get excitement or I'm going to pass out on the stage. Um, so just buckle up and let's go in Hebrews chapter 3. Today we want to talk about a greater leader. So, so far we've talked about Jesus as a greater prophet. He's greater than the angels. Um, and today he's a greater leader. And he's going to talk about Moses. Now this is a big deal because... To the Israelites, Moses was a very prestigious leader to them. Um, and so it's a big hurdle for many of them to overcome that, wait, Jesus is greater than Moses. I mean, come on, let's just talk about Moses for a moment. Moses was born in Egypt. You know, the children of Israel spent 400 years in Egypt, and the first 200 were great. And a new Pharaoh came into power, and then they began to persecute the children of Israel. <clears throat> and so for 200 years, they're slaves. And then uh, Moses is born. Miriam looks at him and knows that he's special. And, and which mother doesn't do that, right? You look at your kids and go, oh, he's special. <clears throat> but she looked at Moses and saw that he was special. God had a plan for him. And so she hid him in the river Nile, excuse me, in the Nile River. <clears throat> and it says that uh, Pharaoh's daughter came out to bathe and she heard a child. And so she grabbed that kid out. Excuse me, but maybe losing my voice. This is where the churches in the old days would say, bless him, Jesus. <laughs> we may be losing it. <clears throat> but Moses, I think I am losing it. Wow. It's crazy. Please don't, don't miss, <clears throat> please don't miss the content. 
because I can't say it like I want to say it, okay? <clears throat> Moses was a great leader, and they loved him, right? And he did some great things, and, you know, he rescued one of his fellow Israelites from an Egyptian. He killed him, buried him in the sand, <clears throat> and he was 40 years in the, in the desert, and <clears throat> God was preparing him even that moment. And he has that burning bush experience where God speaks to him and says, Hey, I've called you to go and lead my people out of slavery. And we know that through a series of events, Moses is prepared and he goes back to Pharaoh and there's the ten plagues, right? And he leads this nation of people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And it's through Moses that they receive the law, right? The first five books of the Bible, <clears throat> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch or the Torah, that was their Bible, right? And Moses gave that to them. So he was highly um, uh, loved in their culture. He also gave them the tabernacle. It was through Moses that God gave the plans for their new church, right, that they would travel with. And they witnessed a lot of great things under the leadership of Moses. Moses was a great leader. But then tragedy struck, <clears throat> and as they're making their way, what should have been an 11-day journey from Egypt to Canaan, 11 days, we hear that they rebelled against God, they disobeyed God, and then they were sentenced to 40 years in the desert. 40 years. And so Moses led them faithfully for 40 years. And so for the author of Hebrews to stand up and say, Jesus is greater than Moses, that's a pretty big hurdle for them to overcome. And so he begins to make the case that Jesus is greater. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the first six verses, and I'm going to summarize the rest. We're going to look at chapters 3 and 4 today. Again, a 30,000-foot view. Jesus is greater. He is a greater leader. All right? <clears throat> so chapter 3. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Let's pray. Father, right now I just humble myself before you, God. I know that there are many people who could share this message a lot better than me. Lord, you've called me for this time and this place, and I humble myself and ask that you just speak through me. Lord, give my voice the strength to get through uh, this service today, that you, Lord, your words would be heard, not mine uh, but God, that you would just speak to us um, in a very real way. And Lord, as we are learning more about you and growing more in our faith, and hopefully it just, on, on the back end, it really builds more and more into our confidence of who you are, and it means so much more to us. That's what we want. We want to lift you up. We want you glorified today. And we ask that that be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So just as another reference here, <clears throat> Moses was so special. In the New Testament, he is referenced over 119 times just throughout the Gospels. Moses was a big deal. For those of us who have the completed scriptures, we can look at it and we see a lot of typology. Um, there's a lot of types or foreshadowings in Moses that point to Jesus. And just a few of those quickly are Jesus, uh, or excuse me, Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert. You remember that? And it says, those who look will live. Jesus was lifted up on a cross, and those who look to him for salvation will live. Moses, um, through his leadership, they had manna from heaven. You remember the frosted flakes that came out of the sky in the morning? 
um, he was the one that um, asked God for that and God provided. And Jesus later would say, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Um, so it was a shadow and Jesus is the reality. Moses was threatened as a baby. Jesus was also threatened as a baby. Um, he was initially rejected. Moses was. Whenever he killed the Egyptian, his own people kind of rejected him initially. But later he would become their deliverer. Jesus was also rejected when he was crucified on a cross. But he would later be the savior of the whole world. We see these symbolism, these types in Moses uh, that are finding their fulfillment in Christ. And so for the writer to make the claim that Jesus is greater than Moses, he's thinking how could these people go back to Judaism when what Christ offered was so much greater than what Moses could offer. And so what he's dealing with, the context is, <clears throat> there were people in the Judaism, and there were people that came out of that and are starting to follow Christ. But because of persecution, they're tempted to go back to Judaism. He's like, man, that's the old stuff. It has fulfilled its purpose. We're now into Jesus now. Why would you go back to that? That's the whole purpose he wrote here. And he wants to just lift up the name of Jesus and encourage them to stay faithful to Jesus no matter what they go through. Amen? So Jesus is greater than Moses. So quickly, let's look at three ways that Jesus is greater than Moses. And we're going to look at an illustration from Israel's past with a warning. And in chapter 4, there's a promise. There's also some warnings there. Um, and then two powerful truths. We'll end with that today. So the first way that Jesus is greater <clears throat> than Moses is in his office. You know, when you say somebody's office, their position, we know that the office, office of the presidency um, is a very powerful position, right? He's the leader of the free world. He's the commander-in-chief. The, the office of president is a, is a high position of authority. Moses had an office primarily as a prophet. You know what a prophet is? A prophet hears from God and tells the people what God said. And Moses primarily did that. I mean, he was the one that said, God said, Moses, go tell my people. Moses would go tell the people. He served in his office as a prophet. He also served a little as a priest. This is before the priest system was set up, but Aaron and he served as kind of mediators between God and the people, so he served in that function as well. But he also served kind of as a king, if you think about it. Um, he was the leader of the people, this whole nation of Israel that came out of slavery. He led them faithfully for 40 years, and so he served kind of as a king. The big difference between Moses and Jesus is Moses was called. Right? The burning bush experience. God called from the burning bush, said, Mo Moses, I want you to go lead my people. Jesus is sent. Okay? Notice this key word. He says, <clears throat> I want you to think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger. The Greek word is apostolos. We get our word apostle from that. What is an apostle? An apostle is one who is sent. Jesus refers to that several different places and the scriptures do. John 3, 17, God sent his son into the world. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. John 5, verses 36 to 38, Jesus is saying, um, but I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm sent from where? From heaven. By whom? Sent by God. So Moses is called. Jesus is the apostle. He is the sent one from heaven and from the Father um, in heaven. Also, I would like to point out that Moses is um, dealing with a physical people, talking about a physical promised land, like an earthly goal, if you will. And Jesus um, has such a greater office in that he was dealing with a heavenly people, and we talk of a heavenly promise or a heavenly rest to come that is heaven. And so Jesus is greater in his office. That's why he says we should think carefully about this Jesus. 
I think it's a good place to, to remind us, church, we should think carefully about the person of Jesus, who he is. He's greater. Amen? So he is greater in his office. He's also greater in his ministry. Look at verses 3 um, through 6. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. This is a reference back to chapter 1 when he said in the past God spoke to the prophets, but in these last days he spoke through his son. And then he says of his son through whom all things were made, right? That he's the heir of all things and through him all things were made. John chapter 1 verse 3 also references that, that he, through him everything was created nothing was created without Jesus. And so to say Jesus is a creator, through him all things are created, he's attaching deity to Jesus, right? So he says through whom all things were created, everything is built, the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. Say servant. What is a servant? Someone who waits on people, serves on people, ministers to other people. And Moses was a great servant, but he was still a servant, right? No matter how great or how high his level was as a servant, he was still a servant of God to the people he served in the house. And it says of Jesus, um, it says, uh, don't miss this, his work was an illustration of the truths that God would reveal later. His work was an illustration, a foreshadowing of the truths that God would reveal later. It's later, and those truths are Jesus. Amen? So the work of Moses was an illustration of the truths that God would reveal later, uh, reveal later in Jesus. And so verse 6, it says, but Christ as the Son. Say Son. So Moses' servant, Christ's Son of God. So that's a powerful position, right? So he's got a very important role. He's the Son, and as the Son, he is over God's entire house. When it speaks of house, household, it's talking about people. Moses was faithful over the house of God, the Israelites, and that people. Jesus is over the house of God, all of God's people. Amen? It says, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. And so to go back to Judaism meant to exchange fulfillment of types and shadows. To exchange the fulfillment, which is Jesus, to go back to the shadow, to go back to the typology. And he's just saying, don't, don't go back, right? Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is greater, yes, even than Moses. He's greater in his office. He's greater in his ministry. And he also gives us a greater rest than what Moses was going to give the people. Now, this is where we look, and we'll kind of summarize here. But the writer then quotes Psalm 95. <clears throat> Psalm 95 is a reference to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17 is when it's recorded that they rebelled against God and God was angry with them. And he says, in my anger, basically, I refuse to let them enter into my, my rest. And so he is in verse 12, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. So let me just stop right there for a second. Because throughout the rest of this text, as I said, if we zoom in, you see things that make you go, uh-oh. And one of the things that you see is um, New Living Translation translates a lot of these words, they disobeyed. They disobeyed. King James says because of their unbelief. When you dig into the Greek and you go back there, both of them are correct. The word unbelief is there. The word disobedient is also there. And so they're both rightly um, translated. But we understand the disobedience being the unbelief, if, that, if I can make that clear, right? The disobedience was their unbelief. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever made any mistakes in life? If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying, and we're going to talk about that next week. All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So I used to approach this text, and I would think, uh-oh, 
those who are disobedient didn't enter the rest. Be careful that you don't practice what they did and have a heart of disobedience, and you also won't enter his rest. And so what is disobedience? What does he mean by that? Because if disobedience means, hey, don't lust, and you lust, uh-oh, then I might not be able to enter his rest. If disobedience means um, don't steal and, and you stole or you hid some money from the IRS or whatever, uh, then how many know that's disobedience? And maybe that disobedience keeps me from entering his rest. Or maybe, maybe it's lying and you're like, man, I, I was in trouble at work and I panicked and I told a lie. And that was disobedient because God said don't do it. And so what is the disobedience that kept them out of his rest, which was the promised land? For that, let me go back to chapter 17 because this is so powerful to me when you read it. So they're in the desert. Moses has led them out of slavery. And it says in chapter 17, verse 1, At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left, left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. And there were a lot of people. So once more, the people, once more, the people complained against Moses, give us water to drink. They demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? Why are you testing the Lord? It would later say in Deuteronomy, they tested God ten times. He says, why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Come on, Moses. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? I feel you, Moses. They're killing me, God. What do you want me to do with them? They're ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take the staff, the one that you used when you struck the water of the Nile, you know, it turned into blood, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock, and as he was, as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place, listen to this, Massa, which means test, because it was there they tested God. And Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, listen to this, is the Lord here with us or not? <sighs> if I were adding to the Bible, which that's kind of a dangerous thing to do, but there I would say, and Moses said, are you kidding me right now? Did you just say that? Think about what we have seen so far. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God led us out of Egypt. Those ten plagues, you don't remember that? Is the Lord with us? Really? When we went through the Red Sea, we were trapped on all sides, and God miraculously opened the Red Sea, and we walked over on dry ground. You're killing me with this. Is God with us or not? Right? When you were hungry, you gave us manna from heaven. He gave us water. He took your, your feet, your shoes are still good. 40 years, they've not wore out. Are you kidding me? And you ask, is he with us or not? Right? And on and on it says they tested him. The disobedience was the disobedience of unbelief because with all the miracles, with all the evidences that God was with them, they're like, is he really with us or not? Really? That was their disobedience. And it kept them from entering into his rest, the promised land. In fact, Moses, he was faithful, but he sinned. In his disobedience, he wasn't allowed to go into the physical promised land. He got to see it from a mountain, but he didn't get to go in. It would be Joshua who later would take them in to the promised land. But here he is, 
You know, what, what is this disobedience? He's like, man, you've seen God, his power, his presence, his provision, the cloud, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. God is with us. The temple, the Shekinah glory that hovered over the tabernacle. You saw Moses light up like a glow worm, man. The glory of God was radiating off of his face. How can you say, is he with us or not? Do we sometimes do the same thing? So the sin of disobedience that kept him from his rest was a sin of unbelief. And so I would say this today, here we are, that warning still stands. And I would say this, what is the one sin that would keep us out of heaven? Someone say, what's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Or it is the, um, what's the other word we use all the time? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it's in the same context, but Jesus has just cast out a demon. And the Pharisees who were rejecting him as Messiah, they were saying, you're not the Messiah. In fact, you just cast out the demons by the power of the devil. And so they were rejecting who he said he is. They were denying him as the Messiah. That is unbelief, right? The, the one sin that could keep us out of his eternal rest, out of heaven, is the sin of unbelief. All right? Because all the other sins were paid for on the cross. Hallelujah. But the one sin of unbelief, that continual unbelief is the one that keeps us out of the rest. So the warning still stands today. Look, don't repeat their mistake. They had it all in front of them. The gospel is absolutely abundantly clear to us through the scriptures, right? We know who Jesus is. We have the testimony of the gospels that say, here's what Jesus did to prove his deity. We covered those earlier on in the year. Who is Jesus? He's I am, right? He's all the I am's, all the miracles that validated those, those claims that he was deity. I mean, we've got it all in front of us. And we, we know that the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. That the wages of sin is death. We know that that's a reality. And we got this sin problem, but we also know the good news is that Jesus came and he died on the cross for all of those sins. And whosoever would believe in him, would trust in him, We'll have eternal life. We know this, right? But here's the reality. It is true even today in all Christendom that people can say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I got the little fish sticker on the back of my car. I got a cross tattoo, you know. I go to church. But how many of you know just saying you're a Christian doesn't mean you're genuinely a Christian? And so the, the sad thing is, is there will be many people one day that will stand before Jesus. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I I knew you until, no, he doesn't say that. He says, I never knew you. So hear me saying this, the most important thing that we can do, and I say this all the time, is to trust in the gospel for salvation. That is the message, right? And the sin of unbelief would be to say, yeah, I mean, I, I believe Jesus is real, and I believe he did all that stuff, but I just don't know if I'm ready to commit myself to him. I mean, is he really with me? Is, it, is he really saving me from myself? I mean, we've got to be careful with that. That's the warning even today, but he leads us to a better rest. As Moses would lead them to the promised land, he didn't get to enter in, and even they didn't because of their disbelief and their disobedience, but Joshua and Caleb did, right? And it was a temporary physical rest. Do you know that today the Jews still long for that period of rest? That they've had little momentary times of, of rest, but they still not fully experienced it. They will one day, we believe, in the millennial kingdom, in the thousand-year reign of Christ. But it's an earthly physical rest. There is a better rest that our leader leads us to. Look at in verse, or chapter 4. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. 
but it did, not, it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As others, God said, in my anger I took an oath that they will never enter my place of rest. And so, again, Psalm 95 is written 500 years after Joshua led them into the promised land. And so he, he's going on to say there's still a rest to come. And we know what that rest is, right? It's eternity. In fact, my wife and I were talking yesterday about this, and I was telling her about the sermon. I was kind of excited about some of the things I was going to share, and she says, I'm looking forward to it. And I said, oh, thanks, babe. That's great. I'm, I'm glad that you're looking forward to the sermon. She said, no, I'm looking forward to the rest. <laughs> and I was like, wow, thanks. I, I, I'm looking forward to the sermon, too. And I'm like, yeah, you just kind of had to say that right now. A little late, babe. But I'm also looking forward to that rest. Amen. And you can look at this from different angles. I'm speaking specifically of heaven, but how many know that he rescued them out of slavery? Jesus rescues us out of the slavery to sin. So there's a rest in that, amen? A rest for today, the, the, the weight of the sins uh, that are on us and, and just fighting all the time. There is a rest from that through the gospel. So, I mean, in a sense, we can have rest now when we place our faith in him, but I'm looking forward to an eternal rest one day when Christ returns and we're all at with him at home and glory. And I wouldn't want anyone to miss that. And the way we would miss that would be to not appropriate what he's done for us, the gospel, to ourselves, right? The sin of unbelief. Not the sin of lying. I mean, because if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. So I really believe that he's showing us this sin is just simply the sin of unbelief. It's to have all the evidence in front of you and still reject the only offer of salvation given to man. There is no other name given under heaven by which man can be saved except through Christ Jesus. Jesus is the greater leader, and he leads us to a greater rest. And he says, so there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Church, I I, I hope that you understand the gravity of what's put before us. We have all the evidence in front of us. And it's what we do with that that determines whether we enter his rest or not. If we believe, and when I say believe, I don't mean just believe he exists because the demons do that. It says they tremble with fear, right? But pistevo, the word believe, means to rely on, to trust in, to put your faith on the, the finished work of Christ on the cross. And I'm so thankful it's not Jesus plus my works, right? Because if it were, I'm in trouble. And so are all of you, by the way. But he says, for it is by grace that you've been saved, and this is a gift of God. It's not by works, so that any of us can boast about it. It is the grace of God by placing our faith in Christ. And so, look at these powerful truths here. Verse 12, chapter 4. For the word of God. Now, consider this. We have a completed scripture, right? The canonization of the Bible. Um, and we see that. We think the word of God is powerful. And how many know the word of God is powerful? Right? But, but in their time, they had the first five books, the Torah, right? And chapter 1 says, in the past God spoke, but now he speaks through his son. And so the word spoken all throughout history is powerful. Amen? And so the word is powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I can speak until I'm blue in the face. And God, simply through his word, revealed to us the deepest, darkest areas in our life. It is a powerful, powerful word. So we should listen when God speaks through his son, the good news of the gospel. Amen? That's a powerful truth. There's power in the word of God. A second one is this, verse 13. Nothing in all of creation is hidden. Say nothing. 
That used to blow my mind as a kid, right? I'm like, well, maybe if I hid under like 20 mattresses, he couldn't see. What I mean, you just mind starts thinking about how can you hide? And scripture tells us, where can I go? Where can I go? Everywhere I go, you're there, right? <clears throat> so keep this in mind. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So keep that in mind as we talk about what it is to believe in the gospel, to obey the gospel. God knows those that are his. It's not my role to make that judgment. I, don't, I can't see the heart, right? I can only preach the gospel and pray that you respond to his invitation of eternal life. But he's the one that knows all of us intimately. Nothing's hidden from him. And so this really comes back down to a personal, you know, let's come to Jesus meeting with us. Like, have I made sure that my calling and election is sure? Have I made sure that I'm in the faith? Have I placed my faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross? Am I relying on my own works? Am I relying on some other religion? For the Jews that day, they were like abandoning Jesus to go back to a, a religion that had already run its course, is no longer valid because Jesus is the reality of the types. What are we relying on? And if, we're, if you're relying on anything else other than the finished work of Jesus, you're relying on a faulty foundation. And so hear me say that the most important decision we make is to place our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reality is Jesus is greater. And that's what he's going to come back to over and over and over again. He's the greater apostle. He's the greater high priest. We'll cover that next week. But Jesus is the greater leader who leads us to a greater rest. Aren't you thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And maybe you're hearing like, man, I really don't know where I stand. I remember somebody asking me a long time ago, because of the way I was raised, it was, you know, there was so much uncertainty of where I stood with God. And I knew me better than anybody besides God. And Mr. Shane, do you, will you go to heaven one day when you pass away? And I couldn't answer the question. I'm like, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, I've been in church my whole life. I've been saved like umpteen hundred times. I've been baptized probably that many times. I mean, I was just so uncertain of where I stood with God. And I just remember there's no peace in that. There's no joy in that. And it's certainly not good news. Right? And the good news is, is everything that Jesus needed to do, he did on behalf of all mankind. We only need to trust in him for salvation. ABC, admit you're a sinner. All right, God, I confess your word says it. I believe it. I'm a sinner. I repent of that. And I believe in the gospel. I believe that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. I believe he's the son of God who was killed, buried, and raised again on the third day. I believe in him. And I'm confessing. I am agreeing that he is my Lord and my Savior personally. Not the pastor, my, or the, 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 the leader that my pastor talks about, but personally, he's my Lord. And I want to follow him, and I want to trust in him and him alone for salvation. If you've not made that step today, I want you to know that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, is what he says. So I was reading about D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody in his early years was preaching. And he used to have a habit when they would do like a, a revival, it was like every night. He would have a habit uh, of saying, I want you all to go home and think about what I talked about tonight. And I want you to come back tomorrow prepared to make a decision. One particular time he said that, it was in Chicago, and it was the year of the Chicago fires. And many of the people that heard him speak that night perished in the fires. And so he quit using that phrase, and he started looking at the imminence of making decisions. Today is a day of salvation. Here's the reality. None of us are, pr are promised tomorrow. Amen? That life is a vapor. I mean, we could leave here today and be gone into eternity. Please don't miss the message that he's speaking to us, a greater word, a great leader leading us to a greater rest for those who believe in him. There's hope. That's good news. Amen? For those of us that place our faith in him, we're like, man, I, this just encourages me more. Hebrews used to freak me out. And the more I read it now, the more encouraged I get. In fact, you should have seen the first service. Somebody was being obnoxious and said I needed more coffee. And they were being facetious is what they were doing. But 
I'm pretty pumped. Because the more I read this, the more I get to know what he's done for me. It just, it charges me up, right? It, it adds a little bit more joy in my life, a little more hope, a little more confidence. He says in chapter 10 that we can enter boldly before, before the throne of grace. That just is mind-boggling to me that we can go before a holy God with confidence. And he says, through the gospel, that's made possible because it's his righteousness, not our own. So how does it look in your own life? Does it encourage you a little bit? Hopefully it does. Does it inspire you to want to, you know, be, I don't know, Ephesians 4.1, to live a life worthy of the calling that you've been called to? However the Lord leads you, whatever response he has for you today, I hope that you will respond to him. And what we'll do is I'll pray, we'll dismiss. And after we dismiss, I'll encourage you, if you want to come forward, the invitation's always open. I would love to visit with you, pray with you. Uh, but please hear the words that he speaks to us because his word is a better word. His message is a better message. He's a greater leader and he offers us a greater rest. Father, we thank you for this day today. Thank you for your word and for the encouragement that comes from your word. Lord, I know that there are probably some things that could have been said differently or things that may have been muddy. And I pray that's not the case. God, I pray that your, your spirit would be able to just let everyone hear what they need to hear today. And Lord, you're the one that knows our hearts. So God, I pray that in this moment right now that we would just do a self-check. You said to make your calling and your election sure that we would evaluate. Are we in the faith? Are we just playing like maybe the Israelites were doing? We see all the evidence around us, but we've not personally said, all right, I believe, I trust, and I follow. Lord, and if that's someone here today, I pray that today would be the day that they would quit playing with you, God, and they would genuinely trust in you for salvation. Lord, for the rest of us, God, I pray that it would just embolden us more in our faith, that we're encouraged a little bit more who you are, Lord, and what you've done for us. Lord, the more we, we grow in those areas of knowing who you are and what you've done and what you've taught us, Lord, that it just means so much more. It just digs those roots deeper and deeper into the foundation that is Jesus, our Messiah. Lord, thank you for the good news of the gospel. I pray that you would be glorified in our lives as we leave this place today and help us to just live in a way that reflects that we do belong to you. Lord, I pray that you would just move as you, you move. And uh, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.